Hello, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Roback, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Hi, Mark. It's interesting. Uh, The heat wave did break. We talked a little bit about that uh, last week. It was coming again, so it it did break. I I still haven't cut my grass, so maybe maybe this week and I'll I'll do bits and pieces. And uh, but it was interesting today. I, I brought the garbage. You know, I've been working in front of my basement. I brought the garbage cans out early this morning. Thank goodness that the garbage guy came like before noontime because i went out there to put something else in it and it was empty i'm like whoa ah uh, uh, not unusual yeah very back. unusual usually they come like after two o'clock okay? mm. and then and so the the morning paper came today but it didn't have the the full paper it had two of like the community news you know <laughs> where all the you know it talks about what's going on in this town and that town and all the advertisements are in there and the, the cooking sections in there. Well, we got two of those and no, <laughs> and no real paper. And yeah. I wanted the real paper because of course the paper is now printed in Massachusetts up in Springfield. So the news is like stale. Okay. We had, we had the primaries on it's... Tuesday and I'll, I'll tell the truth. This is a Thursday. Okay. Yeah. So when the paper came yesterday, it said, you know, voting happened. Okay. So the Wednesday morning <laughs> paper didn't have anything about what happened. Wow. They probably hit the print button at like nine in the evening. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so I wanted to read about without having to go and go to the computer or the phone or the iPad or whatever. I like reading the paper. Yeah. Yeah. And I called, of course, it went overseas. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I'm still waiting for today's paper. Because it was very interesting what happened in the state that we that we live in, um, with the with some of the primaries. So, uh, yeah. but anyhow, I was bringing out this extra piece of newspaper at two o'clock. All right, and uh-huh. the big recycling bin w- was empty also. Oh wow! So, so either they hired somebody, or they moved their schedule around, or 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 something. So, uh, so I got to make sure that I you know I get the <laughs> garbage cans out earlier because I'd been waiting till my break time around lunchtime to do it and you know for the last two years yeah that's funny uh did you uh, we talked about it before but did you ever have a paper route i thought yes. you said you did yeah I did. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and i did too and the, the thing about only getting that community section it reminds me of i delivered the the local afternoon paper mm-hmm. and it, it you know route in my neighborhood and and a cousin of my mother's it was on my route and he he was a, a an Irishman and he had that sarcastic sense of humor he knew damn well who I was but he insisted on just calling me paper boy and it was like <laughs> and, and he he stopped me one time and it's like I didn't get the insert for with the ads and everything in the whatever it was you know Mm-hmm. paper of the day it's like so the next time i went i i put two of those inserts in his <laughs> and then he complained about that ah now i got two of them <laughs> like, like maybe got extra coupons you yeah. know for for scott tissue yeah it was like nothing would have made him happy he just wanted to bust me <laughs> yeah. that's good it sounds like a good guy yeah yeah he's great <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyhow, uh, anything going on with you? Uh, I uh, spent a couple days down in uh, the adjacent state, the ocean state. Uh, Did you my, bring any illegal firewood my, home? Uh, no, I didn't. But uh, yeah, my, my sister was down there with a and her family and so it's spent nice. a few days and uh yeah it was nice the weather cooled down um just the the, the morning after i i got there so it was uh yeah so was did hard. you get all those storms yesterday afternoon no they seemed to pass to the north of where we were oh really okay because yeah. it looked as though like you know, we didn't we didn't get anything uh, yeah. here yesterday so yeah i think it slid through probably to the south of you and to the north of where i was yeah. so yeah, yeah. Okay. All righty. So um, Pete and I have been friends for 30 plus years. We uh, met in college and then ended up working together for a long time. In uh, each episode, we'll review all 40 songs in the Chosen Weeks countdown, provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer. And we'll give our individual A plus through F grade for the entire countdown. Since nobody has the exact same taste in music, our opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition, so please no wagering. So today is episode uh, number 15 of the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. And this is from the American Top 40 week of August 7th, 1971. The title is, How Can You Mend Hot Pants? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So any any info on uh, what you were doing around this time? Uh, We we were both pretty young in uh, August of 1971. Yeah, well, I just gotten out of uh, out of kindergarten. You know, first grade would have been starting uh, uh, next month in uh, in September, and uh, there's really nothing going on uh, with the family at at that point in time. Um, uh, my father uh, did weigh himself on on the previous Sunday, and he weighed 196, and I weighed myself this morning. I'd forgotten to weigh myself as soon as I got up, so I'm I'm a little heavier than I probably should be, but I was 14.2 stones. So you can <laughs> you can figure that out oh, today. That, that's uh, British, don't you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, do you? Um, it's like if you don't do it, I think I'd like to see the project where you you plot your father's weight versus yours. <laughs> and, and and see like what's going on trend wise and <laughs> well, well, the problem was is, is is my father at this point in time was uh 30 uh was he born 37 i oh, guess okay all right so i'm 20 years older than yeah than he was at that point in time and i don't think he was charting his weight i i'd have to look at the date books from the from the nineties, all right, early nineties to see how much he weighed then compared to what I have. Yeah. So, and how long have you been charting yours? Uh since I got a digital scale, which uh, okay. was uh I could show you to, to you on the, you know, we got a Fitbit machine. So yeah. I think it's it's been six or seven years. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah. but uh but it, my father was working for Governor Meskel then, I believe he was spent a lot of time the first two weeks of August uh, in the db we talked about the db back 
in episode number uh, episode number five uh, back in June. And so uh, so pretty quiet. I don't even think I was riding a bike then. Okay, I think I learned how to ride a bike on the epic trip that we had the next uh, in the next few weeks that we can talk about in another year. Yeah. What were you? Anything up with you? Um, you know, I again, I I don't have any kind of date book. I did talk about uh, my wife Gail kept these spy books, and um, I found a little couple things in there, and I'll, I have a few things I remember once we get into the pop culture uh, stuff uh, in our introduction here. So we, we can move on. Oh, one thing I do, I do want to say about uh, about the date book, and I, I wrote it down here and I forgot to say, is is on, on Monday, August uh, 2nd, 1971, my father has here UAC 9M. So do you know what UAC uh, was in 1971? UAC... United Auto Workers no. Combine? No. <laughs> no, no. What, what was it before UTC? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Should so I say I think it? He, I, think he, <laughs> I think he had a, had, a, had a meeting at United Aircraft someplace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where he had worked, you know, a decade before and my mother's father had worked back in the 50s. Yeah. Where, where we ended up working for a long time. Yeah, that reminds me of one of my sort of uh, attempts at comedy when you you remember uh, uh, Al S. Um, he <laughs> he had he got he reached a milestone in uh, when we were still working together, and they somebody asked, "Oh, can you come up with uh, you know anything kind of funny or whatever?" And and you know my thing was, yeah, he had started at United Aircraft. And I, 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 you know, there were a couple of things like, you know, he, he got in trouble with the customers, the Wright brothers, because <laughs> we didn't deliver stuff on time. And then also that uh, he, he worked for the company when the, you know, the hottest woman in there was Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's funny. That's interesting though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. so anyhow, uh, you know, uh, what, what was going on in the news at this point in time? Yeah, so um, on uh, August 1st, the uh, famous uh, Concerts for Bangladesh, organized by George Harrison, were held in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York City. Um, mm -hmm. So that was big, that big was music big. news back then. Yeah. Yep. Also on August 1st, the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour, uh, it uh, debuts. My voice just cracked like I'm a teenager. Did you hear that? <laughs> I must I must have had like a retrograde thing or something. You're like Peter Brady. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Or that song, remember? Yeah, there's it's time to change. Time to change. Yeah. 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 Did but, you did you listen to that podcast I sent you? Um, I didn't get a chance yet. No. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of fun. I, I is listened it? To one episode. Yeah, it looked like it was it was pretty good. I had one I was gonna send you too, where these guys take like random episodes of all kinds of different tv shows in the yeah. 70s and so the podcast I'm, I'm talking about it's actually i just found out about it over the last few days is is uh, greg and peter from the brady bunch as as what's the barry barry what what's his name barry something barry white barry, Livings, barry white yeah barry livingston <laughs> no 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 that's that's livingston was oh no the that's guy on, yeah barry on my uh, three sons oh god now i can't think of it barry gordy no uh <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Barry and Christopher Knight. Christopher right? Knight, I remember. What yeah. the heck is Barry? Oh, God, you know, I can picture him with the uh, 70s perm, and I can't think yeah. of his name. Yeah. Well, anyhow, they what they do is is kind of like this. They're but they're going back and they're reviewing uh, episodes of, of the Brady Bunch, and the one that they uh, that they did was when uh, uh, someone's cousin is coming in from out of town, and she uh, she needs another date for you know she was dating Greg, and Greg had to find a uh, a date for the cousin. Uh-huh. And everyone's like, ah, no, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't know what she looks like. Uh, so, yeah. so, so, uh, so, uh, Greg gets Peter to be the, uh, the, the, uh, the blind date for this, this girl's cousin. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and does she turn out to be gorgeous? Is oh, she, yeah. Stick? yeah, that's yeah. And, classic. And, and then there's the people from Mexico City and, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, Rob and Carol go to the same pizza restaurant and all all kinds of fun things ensue so it, it was kind of fun yeah 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 I, I think it's called the brady bros uh yeah 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 i saw that so yeah, yeah that, that i gotta listen to that because that'll be that'll be good yeah um so um the only other uh, news thing i had here was uh, on august 7th uh apollo 15 returns to earth the astronauts brought back with them 400 stamp envelopes to be sold to to stamp collectors by a guy named Herben Seeger of West Germany, based on the increased value of uh, having them been taken to the moon. What, wasn't that a scandal? Yeah. Didn't, didn't, I, didn't they get in trouble for doing that? Well, I subsequently read that what they did, I don't think all three of the astronauts, they secretly stashed extra ones that they didn't give to this Herman... Uh, Seeger guy, uh-huh. and then attempted to sell them off to the side, which was in breach of whatever, you know, uh, contract or, Moon or agreement. Yeah, yeah. Apollo Apollo protocol. And then I think in the end, they ended up giving those to this guy, and it was it was settled. But yeah. but the the astronauts got punished. They got taken off being like the backup crew on a on a later mission. Uh, that was planned so yeah and of course that uh, apollo 15 so that was the fourth time they faked the moon landing because yeah. they you know were so successful don't, don't and don't mess with Werner von braun yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right any, anything going on in tech besides uh, going to the moon maybe yeah yeah just sort of um i i did have a specific date for this but uh, uh sometime in 1971 uh richard h frankel and Joel S. Engel and Philip T. Porter of Bell Labs in the U.S. set out the parameters for a practical cellular telephone network. So the very beginnings of this world we live in now was yeah. uh, starting then. So 50, 51 years ago. Remember, you know, Bell Labs was big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 so was, uh, you know, General Electric. And, you know, what happened to all that? Yeah. Know? Yeah. It was. Um, well, I. I don't know, you know. I guess it's still happening, but but it used to be funded by like businesses, and and I think it's like what happened. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's different times, different yeah. times. Yeah, for sure. But, All right. So, uh, anything in the economy? Yeah, just a couple stats. Uh, the unemployment rate was uh, four point nine percent. Inflation was five point seven percent. Not not too bad. This is the early seventies. So, yeah. and the cost of uh gallon of regular gas was 
36 cents. And so does this uh, match up with your real-time data? <laughs> well, let's see. I'm missing a date, but on 8-7, the 1964 Chevy wagon was filled up. It cost $7.32 for 18.1 gallons of gas for 40 cents a gallon. And that got uh, uh, 17 miles per gallon. All right. Mm -hmm. And um, and the 1970 VW Squareback, um, and this was oh so so the the Chevy the gas was purchased in in in, in the state we live in all right mm -hmm. and the Squareback was in my hometown two dollars and ten cents for six gallons of gas all right yeah, okay thirty five cents a gallon and we were getting uh, twenty six point seven miles per gallon so it almost averages out yeah you know, thirty five to forty okay so it's pretty good. Yeah. And now the interesting thing is the registration was fifteen dollars back in nineteen seventy one, and we talked about the registration was uh, was like twenty one bucks a week ago or something. So yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. This date is good. Yeah, yeah. So picked out a TV date of uh, Thursday, August twelfth for this uh, episode, nineteen seventy one. Well, the only thing I see on must see TV on Thursday night on NBC is the Dean Martin summer show. Yeah, everything yeah. else is like. Come on, who iron sides? Yeah, family know, Adam 12. Yeah, uh, yeah, family fair. Um, well, what I thought was interesting is there's a, a movie on CBS called Who's Minding the Store from 1963 starring Agnes Moorhead, and then nice. on ABC, you've got Bewitched. The episode was The House That Uncle Arthur Built, and of course, oh, Agnes, Paul Lynn. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And of course, Agnes Moorhead. What would you call her? A regular guest star? No, oh, she was a regular on yeah. on Bewitched. On yeah. Bewitched, yeah, yeah the the, the uh, mother-in-law and Dora. So yeah, and yeah, a lot of these things I didn't recognize either. Lancer, I don't remember that at all. And uh, Dan August as well. Yeah, and then so, just... so yeah. What's interesting is Agnes Moorhead was also did a lot of stuff with radio with the. Uh, um, back in the 30s and the 40s with uh, Orson Welles, and she was Margot Lane on The Shadow. Yeah. So, And then I, it was interesting that on ABC at 9 that the Make Room for Granddaddy, which was, I guess, the sequel to Make Room for yeah, Daddy with the Thomas. So Diana Ross made a guest appearance. Oh, wow. So, so that's... Uh, Ain't so, No Mountain Higher. So Was that her? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so... Uh, that's interesting. And what I was going to get into with the pop culture and the, the history, just from what I remember and and what I found, um, I do distinctly remember watching the guys ride around on the Lunar Rover. And the first time they did that was Apollo 15. Mm -hmm. And I remember being down the street at a friend of mine's house. Uh, his name was Jimmy. He was he was a little bit younger than me. I don't remember his last name, actually. Uh, but I remember being in his house and and watching that on the TV. And then, of course, later you had those Tang commercials where they had the little aliens on the moon and they were driving the lunar rover around because the astronauts left it behind. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. And then the only other thing I was going to mention is uh, Gail's uh, little spy book, she called them, or, or log books. I found one from 1971. And I was that was in the summer. I just don't have the specific date, but she's like writing what she's doing. And then she's also writing, oh, right now on TV. And she says, there's a My Three Sons episode. 
And uh, Katie is is angry at Robbie because his old friend of his, this hippie guy, wants to take a trip to the Colorado River. And so I went and looked up that episode, and yeah, it was called the Liberty Bell. And at that time, uh, my three sons was airing on Saturdays, but in the summer it would have been reruns. Right. But at this particular time, the Sunny and Share show came on and that was the show that got stuck in that time slot so this must have been earlier in the summer early in the summer yeah yeah, yeah. so uh so that's remember, that. remember the uh six million dollar man with the liberty bell yeah yeah and who was that chuck connors yeah i think it was yeah, yeah. and it had the the classic trope like they had in hogan's heroes where you got to cut the one wire that's right <laughs> and it's like when are these guys going to design bombs with like five wires <laughs> that's <laughs> with, right or make them all the same color yeah or colored with like oh a, a purple brown versus a brown purple <laughs> make it confusing yeah. now, now that sounds like a wire wrap wireless yeah okay? yeah <laughs> oh yeah so anyhow um anything in the at the theater at the rialto yeah not a lot at this time but uh so i had to sort of go back a little bit but on july 2nd shaft is released so that that produced that big hit for isaac hayes the theme from shaft and uh the the movie starred richard roundtree well the best version of course is sammy davis jr doing shaft yeah and then on August 1st, The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston um, and Paul Coslo as Dutch. Uh, <laughs> you and Dutch? Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, no, I haven't seen either of them. They remade that uh, The Omega Man um, in, I think it was in the 2000s with Will Smith. It was called I Am Legend. It's based okay, on I remember a, that. I remember that movie. Yeah. yeah, it's based on a science fiction novel where the guy's kind of the last man left on Earth, and it's inhabited by these human mutants. Well, I remember the police did that song. I think it's on Ghost in the Machine called Omega Man. So I wonder if, if uh, you know, what's that from nineteen eighty two or eighty one? Yeah, uh, yeah, I wonder but, if there's anything to do with that. So you have to look up the lyrics to that. But yeah, uh, yeah. but that's, that's uh, a great record that Ghost in the Machines. I you know. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that, that's about it for yeah, movies. So yeah. Our data sources are Billboard magazine, where the charts come from and what the countdown is based on. Websites are allmusic.com, songfacts.com, and Wikipedia, because <laughs> books rank in the 70s by Dan Isabella and Bill Carroll and American Top 40 with Casey Case in the 70s by Pete Battistine. The, what I taped off of Sirius XM, you know, your girl, Gloria Gaynor, who's awesome. She introduced the episode. Now on with the countdown. I had a smile on my face when I knew who this was. I said, I know that voice. <laughs> and I would have not known the voice if it wasn't for that other podcast that we listen to. Uh. Yeah, so this is Resurrection Shuffle by Ashton Gardner and Dyke. And Casey said the name of this group sounded like a law firm. <laughs> and it's, right. it's true. I could see this plugged into the local commercial for like Johnny Salamone and Morelli. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, the band's named after John Ashton, uh, Kim Gardner, and Roy Dyke. And, uh, They're from England, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this one peaked right here at number 40 and was the group's only top 40 hit, uh, earning them the one-hit wonder designation. Since been covered by a number of other artists, including Tom Jones and Clarence Clemens, their last recording together was a collaboration with... Pete, you uh, want to take it over? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing John Lord yeah. and uh, Ian Pace. Yeah, so John Lord on a soundtrack for a B-movie, The Last Rebel, starring former Gridiron star Joe Namath. <laughs> so, and Ashton also appeared on uh, John Lord's first solo album, Gemini Suite, in 1972. Yeah. And this trio finally split up in that same year. And then after Deep Purple broke up in 1976, there was Pace, Ashton, and Lord, which was Ian Pace, um, Tony Ashton, and John Lord. Yeah. They, Tony they Ashton. had a record they put out. So. Yep. Tony Ashton also went on to play for uh, Medicine Head and um, uh, Dyke, and then Gardner joined a band called Badger. So, yep. yeah, that's a good song. I like it. Yeah. It's I, I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it either, but yeah. when I heard that voice, I knew who it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, this song has been driven into the ground. This is The Who, Won't Get Fooled Again. Um, We can move on, right? Yeah, I'll just say that the album version runs eight minutes and 30 seconds, and the single was shortened to 3.35 for the radio. And I just thought it's funny how they use Roger Goldfrey's scream as the bridge to edit the song down. You can tell when you listen to it. So. Oh, there, yeah, there's definitely a skip. Well, this is uh, one of our favorite guys with with his, his two girls. This is Dawn. This is Tony Orlando and Dawn. Yeah. And uh, I was, it's a nice song, you know. Yeah. What, what I was thinking of is, is with that uh, uh, that Brady Bunch thing I was listening to. Uh, was Tony Orlando's mustache real? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Unlike Peter's, that he was that came off when he was eating popcorn. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember that. What's interesting, I just I decided, okay, let's dig into the Tony Orlando and Don a little bit. And I didn't realize this. So when he recorded the previous big hits, it wasn't with Thelma Hopkins and Joyce Vincent one. Wilson, yeah. who was the other one. Um, they didn't start backing until later this year in 1971. Tony Orlando, real name is Michael Anthony Orlando Casavides. And um, he recorded as the lead singer of a made-up band they called Dawn under an alias, and he was called Frankie Spinelli. Uh, I guess Casey Kasem says that at some in some other episode. But then sounds like someone you grew up with. Yeah, yeah. But then, uh, then after they had the hits, "Tie a Yellow Ribbon," "Knock Three Times," and "Candida," the record company said hey people want to see you live and so we better put together a dawn in in reality so that's when they picked the two singers and then of course they got the uh the tv variety show 
So, yeah. Didn't know that. I, I thought they were always together. Well, this is uh, the rare earth. And um, we've had the rare earth on. They're from Canada, right? I believe so. I don't have that, but um, yeah, if there's not, we, then. we talked about this, and Casey mentioned it that they were one of the first white bands to make it on Motown Records. Yeah, like the first all white pop act signed to Motown, and they right. Motown created the subsidiary which they called Rare Earth just for these guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so um, nice song. Yeah. So they, of course, had uh, Get Ready as, as a, another hit, and uh, I Know I'm Losing You, which were, were covers. All right. So we're on to uh, number 36. So <clears throat> this week, this is a repeat from our episode, uh, uh, what, 11 weeks ago or nine weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, so there's one, two, three, four, five, six, six songs that are, are repeats from, from then. And this was number 36 back then and it's number 36 now so it's running out of the charts it's been on there 13 weeks in the top 100 it was number 11 and this is just kind of weird because the group eighth eighth day it's their only hit and it's not really by them because it was actually done by a group called 100 proof who had some other hits going on uh, at this time uh Someone's been sleeping in my bed, and um, <laughs> that sounds like the three bears. Yeah, and uh, too many cooks spoil the soup. Yeah, that, that, that also sounds, sounds like the three like bears, a, also. Yeah, like they're, they're the doing porridge. the McCartney thing with the taking the fairy tales or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so they they didn't want, I guess, the group having another hit on the charts, so they created this band <laughs> called the Eighth Day. And they kind of, you kind of never see them again. So it, okay, it, so it's a it's like a paper band. Yeah, yeah. It's led by Steve Mancha, who who was uh, you know the leader of that hundred proof band. Well, what's interesting? This is number thirty five, and this song was number thirty five nine weeks ago. Yeah, so it was on our countdown, and it's been on the chart for seventeen weeks, and it peaked at number ten. So, what do you have on this? Anything? Because we talked about it already, probably. Yeah, we did. This was um, just Carly Simon's first single and appearing just as the singer-songwriter era was coming into fruition. The other songwriter with uh, Carly on this was Jacob Brackman. Uh, he wrote the lyrics and um, uh, it, him uh, and Carly Simon met when they were camp counselors at a camp in uh, somewhere in 1967 and they they wrote several songs together, which oh, appeared cool. on her first three, three albums. Yeah. Wow. So, I know camp songs. I went to scout camp, so yeah. I know Wally Aksha, and I know uh, it's Hog Calling Time in Nebraska, and and my mother was a camp counselor in Girl Scouts, and she knew, she knew every song, and she would, like I was saying, we had the accordion in the car, and we'd stuck in traffic, she would. Uh, Pull out the accordion and sing camp songs. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's interesting. It, 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 I'm surprised Paul McCartney never did like a cover of a camp song. <laughs> 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 Maybe he did. It's it's still early in our yeah. uh, in our show. <laughs> yeah. 
No kidding, and he was big. So, yeah. anything else on uh, on this one? Um, let's see. Other than uh, this was her self-titled debut album, uh, Carly Simon, and then she followed up, of course, with this was the only single released off that album. But then she followed up with uh, Anticipation later in 1971. Oh, yeah. That scored a modest uh, hit. But her career, of course, blew up with uh, the third album, No Secrets, which mm. contained Your So Bane. So this was number 40 nine weeks ago. This is Funky Nassau Part 1 by The Beginning of the End. Yeah. Whoa. So I, I have nothing because we talked about it before and uh, cool song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, you said it was at number 40, peaked at 15. We were talking about Apollo 15 uh, earlier and it's great that this song celebrates how cool it was to work at the Space Administration. <laughs> that's right, that's <laughs> the joke you had. Yeah. <laughs> 10 weeks ago. No, it's actually celebrating Funk's arrival to the Bahamas. Uh, it's a good song though, I like it. Well, this is a cover. This was a George Harrison song off of All Things Must Pass. And it's done by someone who uh, we lost earlier this week. This is Olivia Newton-John. And she was 73. Two or three? 73, yeah. She had, she had had uh, cancer on and off for the last number of years. And uh, uh, so sadly, she's, she's left us with a yeah. huge legacy. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of hate to think about it, but as we do this, we we may have to start having an in memoriam section just because if you think about it, you know, early 70s, uh, long over time 50, ago, 50 years ago. So these artists are uh, getting up there in age. But yeah, I, I mean, they, you know, there were a lot there's there was a lot on uh you know, in the media about her passing, um, you know, a lot of people really liked her and um yeah she had her cash box she was the 15th top selling artist of the 70s wow 13 top 40 hits seven top tens and three number ones and that's not even counting all, all the stuff that hit the country charts right she had four grammys and she sold over 100 million albums worldwide wow. so she was no slouch yeah. and yeah. Uh, and it's really crazy America's sweetheart on uh, on American graffiti or no on on Greece, excuse me. Yeah, she was from from Australia. Yeah, yeah, and also you know there was the backlash of her singing country too. Yeah. Um, we talked about that in episode two or three. Yeah, before this. but uh, a lovely lady, really beautiful. I mean, she she really was. That just that that innocent beauty is what what kind of drew her um, in terms of the you know the film career too. When, when we were kids, there was, you know, it's like, imagine if Olivia Newton-John married Elton John. She'd be <laughs> Olivia Newton-John-John. John. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, if you had that in, yeah. in your town. We had it in Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, <clears throat> this is uh, Cat Stevens. We talked about him having a, a gnome de plume or whatever. So, and he's Greek. But I forget his real name, all right? Because now he's Yusuf Islam after yeah. he was Cat Stevens. And who was he before? Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Oh, boy. 
Remember we talked about this? I thought you were going to do some research. I, I should have. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I, I researched the song. All right, tell me about the song. I'm, I'm sure, Ms., you know, Kat You can look about... it up while I'm talking about the uh, song. So. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm All right. <laughs> so this was, uh, this is uh, Moonshadow by Cat Stevens. Originally released as a single, but it also appears on the Teaser and the Firecat album. It peaked at number 30. And he says this is uh, one of his favorite old songs that he wrote. And he said he was on holiday in Spain and he was a kid from the West End of London with bright lights, etc. And he never got to see the moon on its own in the dark. There were always street lamps. And uh, so there he was on the edge of the water on a beautiful night with the moon blowing. And suddenly he looked down and saw his shadow from the moonlight. Oh. And he thought that was really cool. He'd never seen it before. And I, of course, we just talked about Carly Simon and her song, Anticipation. Mm -hmm. It was written about her anticipating a date with Cat Stevens back then. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Well, the Sturgeon Moon is going to be out tomorrow, I guess. A lot of news about that. Yeah. And uh, big full moon. And uh, maybe Cat Stevens, who's still with us. Uh, is someplace where there's no street lights and he'll be able to see his shadow in the moon. Number 31. So this is Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway. Now, we all know who Roberta Flack is. Wasn't Donny Hathaway on something we just did recently yeah so actually he was in on another duet with someone with, else with uh, no it was roberta flack at oh, least what? what i have written down um okay they did album of duets in 1972 that included the hit where is the love which was on episode number 13. ah that's what i'm June, thinking okay. june 15th yeah, yeah 1972 and of okay. course this is a cover of carol king's song yep. and um i had never heard this version it's different this version hit number 29 on the u.s charts Yeah. It's like we're playing rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah. So this is what you see is what you get. So by the dramatics. And I don't know, Pete, is this a list song? Or is it a little more than that? I think it's oh, a little Oh, I didn't more. even think of it as a list song. Yeah. Okay. I, what I did write down is I like this song. Oh, it's good. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, good song. It got to number nine. What you see is what you get was a popular catchphrase at the time, thanks to a, a comedian on TV who had an outspoken character who always used to say this. Do you remember who that was? Uh, was it Flip Wilson? Yes, it was. All right, Ger I just get—I just guessed that. Yeah, okay. Geraldine Jones. His his character would always <laughs> say that. <laughs> And so I, I went off and I, I looked for a few clips of that, but uh, that was funny. Paul and Oates covered this song on their 2004
four soul-inspired album, Our Kind of Soul. The Dramatics were a five-man Detroit-based group, and they had another hit in 1972 with The Rain, and that one went to number five. I, I, I can't believe that I pulled Flip Wilson out of my piney. Yeah, well, you know, when I started reading that, where it was like, oh, it was a popular catchphrase, it, it, it started creeping into my mind, too. It's like, oh, I think that was... Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> Wilson but I didn't crazy. remember that it was Geraldine. Yeah. So, yeah. We're in the 20s now. Here she is again. So uh, Aretha Franklin. So she's one of the artists on the uh, on the countdown that had something in our previous episode from uh, June 5th, 1971. We had one, two, three, four, uh, four folks, including Aretha. And she was uh, Bridge Over Trouble Water uh at number six back then and so here she is doing another cover yeah so, uh and i tell you i'm i'm like wow how did i miss aretha franklin maybe she was just ambiguous you know yeah well, I, I knew her freeway of love and you know i don't know yeah in the 80s it's it's like starting to look like wings here you know <laughs> it's like every week there's a yeah a different song yeah. but uh yeah this is a spanish harlem was originally a hit by Ben E. King in 1960. And a Spanish Harlem is a section of New York City with a large Latino population. And uh, Aretha released a cover version of this song uh, that outperformed the original on the charts. But I remember the original more than this. I do too. The original is a great song. Yeah. And uh, Franklin changed the lyrics slightly from a red rose up in Spanish Harlem to there's a rose in Spanish Harlem. See, a rose in black in Spanish Harlem. So her version went to uh, number one on the US soul charts for three weeks and number two on the pop charts for two weeks. Wow. And Dr. John played the keyboards on this, uh, okay. this song. So when, when uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, we talked about that, was that Spanish Harlem also? Or is that, because that was the queen of Corona. Is that the same spot? I don't know much about um, it. I don't think so from, different spot. from what I recall. Different spot, yeah. 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 But I, I just thought of that. So here's some yeah. uh, flamenco guitar. I wonder yeah. if that's Charo doing it, because she yeah. may not have to do that. So last night, I, uh, you know, I was, uh, at my sister's place and we were flipping through the channels and the original uh west side story was on so we my sister and i were watching that and it was mm -hmm. kind of kind of interesting it was good I, I liked it yeah well i've never seen that either <laughs> well, well this is interesting the label on this is soul and this is soul and this is Gladys Knight in the Pips, and I did not remember this tune at all. I didn't either. Yeah, I don't want to do wrong. And uh, it was off their album, If I Were Your Woman, in 1971. We know that song. Yeah. So this one peaked at number 17 on the pop chart and then number two on the soul chart. And uh, Casey said Gladys Knight and the Pips were a family band with a long history. Absolutely. Yeah. They actually had started in 1952, and uh, Pips was derived from a cousin's nickname. The founding members were Gladys Knight, her brother Merle Bubba Knight, and sister Brenda Knight. 
with cousins Eleanor Guest and William Guest. But after a couple of years of performing and they did some talent sh shows, the group was uh, signed with Brunswick Records in 1957. And uh, they recorded a couple singles that didn't chart. And then Eleanor Guest and Brenda Knight eventually left. And then we replaced by another cousin, Edward Patton, and also uh, of Langston George in 1959. And that lineup produced the group's first hit single, Every Beat of My Heart. So Gladys has been part of the of the business for 70 years. Yeah, yeah I didn't think she was that old. I didn't either. I, when I read this, I was kind of flabbergasted. Yeah. Of course, I don't. I, mean, it, I, I don't didn't. So. Yeah. I, go ahead. I, I didn't know how young she was when all of that started. Was she just like a little kid? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. she's great, and yeah. the tips are great, and I'm leaving on a midnight train to Georgia. I love that song. Yeah. So, I don't know if they ever say the words, but I tell you, when I heard this, I thought Maynard Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. You should say that. I remember the song when it when I heard it. So yeah, get it on by the band called Chase off their self-titled album in 1971. This one got to number one, but the group itself was a one-hit wonder. They were formed by trumpet virtuoso Bill Chase in 1970. Is that a, a name that's familiar? To now you? that name is familiar right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and at the time, thanks to uh, groups like Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears, the public was beginning an infatuation with jazz rock fusion. Um, and the group traced their roots back to uh, 1968, Chase came along just at the right moment to ride that wave of uh, chart success in 1971. Right there, this is this is where it sounds like Maynard. Yeah, and I looked I looked uh, through the Maynard Ferguson uh, LPs, you know, on the internet, and I'm surprised you didn't cover this. It yeah, been great. So. Yeah, but that that trumpet riff, that's like kind of iconic because I've heard that before too um so the it sounds chase, like john lord's playing right now yeah so chase were uh, nominated for a grammy award uh in in 1971 and uh bill chase placed in the number two spot behind frank zappa in a poll of the top pop musicians of the year that was a kind of a surprising thing and ironically the first album sounded at times just a little bit like the original late era uh, 1967 era Al Cooper led version of Blood, Sweat and Tears. And it says the group whose inspiration had also come from Maynard Ferguson. Oh, wow. Uh, in that case, uh, Cooper's admiration for Ferguson's sound. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. There you go. Yeah, that's great. I, I love this song. Yeah. Good song. But now we're on to number 26. And this was number 15 uh, 10 episodes ago or nine weeks since episode, I don't know, since mm -hmm. June 5th, 1971. And this is uh, 
our friends uh, Cornelius Brothers and Sister Rose, and uh, we talked a lot about this last time. And yeah, I like this song. It's a really good song. Yeah, treat her like a lady. And uh, yeah, this one was written by uh, Eddie Cornelius, and it peaked at number three. And uh, just a side note, I was curious: were they any relation to Don Cornelius from Soul Train? And uh, <laughs> they, they were not. They were okay. not. So. You never know, you know, yeah, you never know. cousin, uncle, something like that. But That's right. All right, number 25, Smiling Faces Sometimes by the Undisputed Truth. Now, this is on Gordy, which is Motown, which is Detroit, right? Yeah. And um, it's kind of a creepy song. Ah, uh, yeah, it is, but I, I like it. Um, so this is... Uh, this was written by uh, Motown songwriters Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong. And uh, it was recorded uh, with both The Temptations and The Undisputed Truth. The song first appeared on The Temptations album Sky's the Limit in April of 1971. And that version runs 12 minutes, 43 seconds, taking up half of side one of the album. The Undisputed Truth released their version coming in at a tidy three minutes and 20 seconds a few months later on their debut album. The Temptations wanted to use an edited version of theirs as a follow-up to their number one hit, Just My Imagination. But okay. Whitfield issued the Undisputed Truth recording as a single first, and uh, it climbed to number three in the US in September. Mm. And the line, can you dig it, comes up <laughs> a few times in this song. and. And that was a popular saying at the time, used by uh, the Friends of Distinction in their 1969 cover of Grazing in the Grass. And it's also in the theme from Shaft. Artists to cover this song include Rare Earth, David Ruffin, uh, Ruffin excuse me, uh, John Osborne and uh, Angie Stone. And the OJs had the similar theme song, The Backstabbers, and it quotes, uh, in the lyrics of that song, it says, smiling faces uh, sometimes lie, so, uh, or sometimes tell lies. So. Well, it's interesting, because I think Greg Brady also said, can you dig it? Yeah. So, uh, Undisputed Truth, uh, they performed this song on American Bandstand on August 21st of 1971, so just a few weeks after this countdown. So this is another uh, <clears throat> group that had a uh, song on our last countdown. It was at number eight, Never, Send K Lit, Never Can Say Goodbye, which was a cover. This song here, I don't remember this one iota. You? No. And uh, so this is uh, Maybe Tomorrow by the Jackson 5. Yeah, this song was composed by Barry Gordy Jr., Alfonso Meisel, and Freddie Perrin. Oh, and also Deke Richards. And uh, it was originally written for Sammy Davis Jr., who had just signed for Motown, but it was recorded by the Jackson 5 for their album of the same title, Maybe Tomorrow. Went to number th three, uh, the, the excuse me, yeah, and the uh, English reggae band UB40 recorded a reggae-style cover of, of this in uh, 1987, so. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, 
Tito. I don't I don't remember this. Yeah, year. and I'm not sure. I, I I went to number three. That might have been the UB40 song because this one didn't chart that high. I don't think. Yeah. Well, it says here that uh, it was on the chart for five weeks and it was on its way up. So mm. this song by these gentlemen was uh, you'll still hear on classic rock. Yeah. And they were on the chart also the last time around with uh, Lover Madly, which was at number 19. Yeah. yeah. So this is Riders on the Storm, The Doors. My personal uh, recollection of this song was, um, I believe, was it WDRC or uh, CCC? There was an all-request radio in the early 70s. And I was just a kid, and my older siblings used to get me to try and call in and request a song, mm -hmm. because sometimes if a, a little kid got on, they were like, oh, we'll put that on, you know? And so they had me request Riders on the Storm, and I got in and, and got the request. Was it WPOP? I on the AM side, 1410? It might have been. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was AM at that time. Yeah. Well, it was either 1460 or 14, uh, 1410. Yeah, and it was all requests. And uh, yeah. Yeah, so maybe there's a recording of me out there somewhere requesting this song. But uh, yeah, this was the last song Jim Morrison recorded. Uh, he went to France uh, and uh, died a few weeks uh, well, later. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> this single was released in June of 1971, uh, shortly before his death. And the song is kind of seen as an autobiographical account of Morrison's life. He considered himself a, quote, rider on the storm and a killer on the road. It's a reference to a screenplay he wrote about, um, it was called The Hitchhiker. Um, and he was, Morrison was going to play the part of the hitchhiker uh, who goes on a murder spree, very dark. But it would have been interesting if, you know, we kind of talked about the doors, you know, 10 weeks ago. Yeah. So and this, they said it evolved out of a jam session when the band was messing around with the song Ghost Riders in the Sky, which was a 1948 cowboy song that's been covered by. A few oh, yeah. Groups. Well, the Outlaws did that. They yeah. made that a big hit on their yeah. on their record after Greengrass and High Tides. Yeah. 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 So. And it was uh, Jim Morrison's idea to alter the title to Riders on the Storm from, uh, yeah. from Ghost That's a, that, that, I like the Outlaws version of that. Yeah. And, you know, this yeah. this song has been ground into the carpet, yeah. but it's it's still a good song. Yeah. Went to number 14 and uh, Ray, Ray Manzarek used a Fender Rhodes electric piano to create the effect of the rain. Choo-choo! Mm -hmm. I'm back with the shack of a song, boss. Most time. <laughs> this song. This is reggae. They're from England, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I did no research, but I had a fun time listening to this song because I sort of remember it, but it, it's like this piano riff right here. Yeah. I, I could play piano like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I had the same reaction. Uh, so this is called Double Barrel, and it's by Dave and Ansel Collins. This one peaked right here at number 2-2. Two, two. Um, <laughs> it began its life as an instrumental written by producer Winston Riley. And 
worked up by organist Ansel Collins. Uh, young drummer Sly Dunbar, who was only 14 at the time. Oh, Ansel Collins was also the uh, keyboardist, keyboardist for Jimmy Cliff's band. And oh, okay. Yeah, that's I, a big band. Jimmy yeah. Cliff, a big... I mean, he did The Heart of They Come. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's one of my favorite reggae records. I never saw the movie, but I love The Heart of They Come by Jimmy Cliff. That's, yeah. that's a beautiful record. It's in my collection here someplace. Yeah, and uh, Sly Dunbar later teamed up with bass player Robbie Shakespeare and recorded uh, two top 20 UK hits as Sly and Robbie. <laughs> Okay, I remember. I remember the uh, Shakespeare, you know, Robbie Shakespeare from someplace. It's a kind of a fun song, and and uh... now what's amazing is the duo. They produced several hits for uh, uh, another group in the UK, and they did a whole bunch of stuff. And according to Song Facts, they arguably are the most prolific recording artists ever. They. According to all music they played or on or produced, uh, close to 200,000 songs. No, that's insane. That is insane. That, that, that's that doesn't make any sense. That, that's it's, fake it's, news. It's the Wilt Chamberlain thing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These folks are from England, too, you know. According to Casey. Casey was in good spirits during this episode. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good stories. So, yeah, here comes that rainy day feeling again by The Fortunes. Uh, this one went to number 15. It's uh, composed by Tony McCauley, Roger Cook, and Roger Greenway. Uh, Roger Cook, he was my uh, minister growing up at, at the church I went to. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he signed my, my Bible. Where's my Bible? My Bible's upstairs. Ah, yeah. So it's you on channel 18. <laughs> so this became the third U.S. top 40 hit for the Fortunes in 1971. They're, uh, yeah, as, as you said, an English harmony beat group formed in Birmingham. They came to prominence and international acclaim in 1965 with You've Got Your Troubles, that went to number seven on the US charts. Here It Comes Again, went to number 27 on the US charts, so. Yeah, I, I like this song. It's it's put together well, and, and you'll still hear this on the radio. Yeah. All right, um, this is number 20. This is on the Dunhill label. And uh, by by that band that's all about keeping warm with three dogs <laughs> in your in your suitcase, not your suitcase, in your sleeping bag. Sleeping <laughs> bag. <laughs> yeah, unless you got a big suitcase, <laughs> or you have little dogs. Yeah. But yeah, so this is uh, Liar by Three Dog Night. It was written by Russ Ballard of Argent oh, from their 1970 self-titled album. Um, and then it was uh, released as the band's first single, but did not chart. And uh, the Three Dog Night version peaked at number seven. So this sort of was familiar to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Not one of their best efforts, I think. All right, we're up to number 19. 
This is a cover. Yeah. And you, you know, of, of those four hippies, I, I like uh, Stephen Stills the most. I think he's, I think he's most assess accessible. I, I think he's uh, so much better than the other three. Uh, yeah, that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is a love the one you're with, and it's just a cover by the Isley Brothers, who um, they've done some good covers in their day. So, the, yeah, originally written by Stephen Stills. Guess who he got the title from? Um, uh, he got it from uh, Joni Mitchell. No, he Billy? got it from Neil Young. No, he got it from his buddy. Uh, uh, Joe Dokes. No, no. Uh, Bill, Billy Preston. All right. Apparently, he said it at a party, and uh, Stills heard it and asked if uh, his permission to use it, and Preston said sure. So uh, that's how Stephen Stills wrote this song. Yeah. Um, the Isley Brothers cover here in 1971 went to number 18, and it. Kind of transformed the song from a free love type of feel into one about uh, higher love. And mm. uh, other notable versions of this were done by your, your girl, Aretha Franklin, uh, <laughs> from her 1971 Live at the Fillmore West album. Okay. And the Isley Brothers were inducted uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall yeah. of Fame in 1992. Yeah. Their Very biggest. Important. Yep, their biggest hits in the 70s were Fight the Power, which went to number four. And then in 1975, That Lady, part one, which is fantastic. That one went to number six. They did an absolutely awesome version of Seals and Crofts' Summer Breeze. I don't know if you've ever heard that, Pete, no. but go Are they really brothers? Or are yeah. they just a bunch of guys like the Doobie Brothers? No, no, they were, they, they were brothers, yeah. They're, so maybe uh, they should be in our list of, of you know the, the uh, family the family band. bands we yeah you know we should start writing that down because i'm forgetting because i'm you know, yeah I'm but, but there's a lot more of them out there we're realizing than you thought you know what brothers or oh oh family, family bands, bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah gladys knight and the pips like we just oh yeah about. well i knew they were cousins yeah yeah, yeah. well this is uh this is interesting talking about family bands because casey was talking about how Right now, this band was now a three-man band instead of a four-man band right. because the lead guy, as we know, is John Fogarty. His brother Tommy said, "I've had enough of you," and he left. So they went from a three-man band—excuse me, a four-man band—to a three-man band. Yeah. So yeah, he he just said the title there, "Sweet Hitchhiker," and. Uh... This was, yeah, Creedence Clearwater Revival from their album Mardi Gras in uh, 1972. This one went to number six, uh, written by John Fogarty. And uh, the song mentions the Greasy King, a restaurant in El Cerrito, California, which was the city where the uh, band members were raised. Oh, okay. So, yeah. You still hear this one on, uh, on the rock radio. Yeah. I kind of didn't remember this song. This is Rings. This yeah. Is by Cimarron. Yeah. This uh, was their only hit. It went to number 17. 
and uh, Cimarron were a vocal trio. Rick Yancey, Cheryl Parks, and Richard Menegra. Yeah, it's so easy that's for a, you to say. That's about all I had on this. There wasn't much to find on it, yeah. the, the group or the song. So. Well, one one thing when I was listening to the countdown, I noticed there was a James Taylor call out during during the song. I don't know if we'll get to it before I stop it and move to the next song. Oh, yeah, I didn't so, notice that. Yeah. Sounds nice, but I didn't remember it. No. Nah. this could be <laughs> what's the title hot pants she's got to use she got to use what she got to get what and that's where my what she is. wants and and this is apparently only part one <laughs> okay so this is yeah that title by james brown that's all I have on this is the song's lyrics are an ode to the captivating power of the title garment. <laughs> Hot pants. And the members of the band first saw that garment on their 1970, 1970 European tour. And uh, this song went to number 50. <laughs> I, I wonder if when they were on tour in 1970 in Europe, if they ever crossed paths with, with my, uh, my folks and my two older sisters. You know, I'm sure they didn't go to a concert, but were they, were they in the same, you know, were they in Antwerp at the same time or in, uh, you know, Munich or yeah, Milan? Maybe uh, I'll have to look that up because I remember I did did tell you who they did cross paths with. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that year, though. But uh, yeah, Rory Gallagher was there at the same time he appeared. Uh, we'll have to do that because I do have the 1970 Squareback logbook. Oh, and did the car go over there or did it come from there? I forget. It came from there. They, oh, they My okay. father ordered it ahead and they picked it up in Milan yeah. and they drove it all around and then it came back. Yeah. And uh, so, very you know, James Brown is great. And yeah. I told you the story how I saw James Brown in 1984, I guess, or 85. So. Well, this band is from Canada. Yep, don't you know? Yep. So this was covered in the 80s or 90s by another Canadian man band called Tesla. Yeah, it was actually and, uh, 1991. Okay, 91. Yeah. yeah. And I remember the video when I was living at the house with the guys. This would be on, and the guy right there, he would take off his baseball cap and all his hair would fall out and i didn't know this was a cover in 1991 yeah I didn't really remember do you remember when tesla did this and watching you know I, mtv I, I do and what i actually did remember it as being a previous hit and i remember my brothers were kind of pissed that you know oh people are gonna think tesla came up with this on their own originally <laughs> which apparently <laughs> was true right? oh like roberta flack and you got a friend yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah this was signed by the five man electrical band off their uh goodbyes and butterflies album in 1970 uh written by the uh band's lead singer les emerson and the song is a look at class divisions and property rights and 
He wrote the song after taking a road trip on Route 66 in California, where he noticed all kinds of billboards and signs that to him obscured the scenery. Yeah. Like so the this, one that said, uh, chew red pouch tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> so this one went to number three. And yeah, these guys are from Canada. They formed in the 1960s. Let's see. Signs was included on their uh, second Ooh. album. Yeah, I always kind of like that part. Yeah. But it wasn't considered single worthy by their record label. And um, it didn't fit a standard pop format. But uh, in 1970, it was issued on the B-side of the single Hello, Melinda, Goodbye, which made it to number 55. But DJs flipped the record over and played this, and people loved it. So there you go. Well, all I hope is that the five-man electrical band will play, will play, will pay my electrical bill for the last month, because I'm sure it's going to be wicked tall. Yeah. <laughs> all the air conditioning we've used in this house. Love is going to get you sooner. I remember this song. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Sooner or Later by The Grassroots. This one was written by Gary Zeckley, Mitchell Butler, and brothers uh, Adonaya Jacob and Kandayo Paris. Um, Zeckley and Butler also wrote the grassroots previous hits, I'd Wait a Million Years, among others. And um, this was the grassroots first top 10 hit since their hit Midnight Confessions, which was back I in the 60s. Remember that. Yeah, uh, released actually three years before this. This one went to number nine. Good song. So what was interesting about this song is it's Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. And Casey was saying how Delaney and Bonnie were a husband and wife and how they really got it going and they really must have have a good relationship. And I think I think they divorced like the next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, never ending song of love. Uh, this peaked at number 13. Delaney and Bonnie were yeah, an American duo of singer-songwriters. Delaney Bramlett and Bonnie Bramlett. And they got uh, a daughter who was like in in music. And wasn't she like like a temporary member of Fleetwood Mac like 30 years ago? Yeah, could be. So what's interesting yeah. is these these two fronted the uh, this uh rock soul ensemble and um uh, Delaney uh, and Bonnie and friends, and whose members at different times included Eric Dwayne, Clapton, Dwayne Allman, Greg Allman, Eric Clapton, George Harrison, Leon Russell, Bobby Whitlock, Dave Mason, Steve Howe, Rita Coolidge, and King Curtis. Yeah, uh, this was their last album of new material. They divorced in 1972, as you alluded to. <laughs> and they had one other top 40 hit in the 70s, which was only you know and i know which was also in 1971. well only you know and i know i thought that was a song by uh dave mason yeah maybe he I wrote thought, it i think that was a dave it. mason song yeah, yeah they play that a lot on the deep tracks that's a great song hmm. so only you whatever i, I can't sing. doesn't ring a bell for me when i hear it really yeah 
Well, you can tell the Vietnam War was still going on. Yeah. With this yeah. song. Terrible thing. Yeah. So this is a Bring the Boys Home by Frida Payne off of uh, her album Contact in 1971. What's interesting to me is I kind of remembered the tune to this, but maybe I was just too young to you know, understand the lyrics or realize what they were singing about. Um, I didn't know the Vietnam War was going on in 1971. No, no, I we were just kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, and we never watched TV news. Yeah, yeah. So, so you never would, had the TV on. Never, never would have known what was going on. Yeah, you wouldn't have known. But this one peaked at number 12. It was, yeah, a protest song to stop the war and return uh, the young soldiers home who were sent to fight. Um, it received a lot of airplay in the United States, but it was banned by uh, the U.S. command from the American Forces Radio uh, oh. for, for fear it would give aid, aid and comfort to the enemy. And uh, this was Frida Payne's second gold record. Her first was Band of Gold, which we had on another countdown, mm -hmm. I believe. Don't remember which episode, but... Uh, and the Frida's still with us. She's uh, 79 years old. Good for her. Oh, this did, is actually, write, did, did you say she wrote this or was it written by someone else? Um, I, I didn't have that information yeah. down here, but uh, it's a good song, actually, though. Um, you know, well put together. Yeah, I don't know where the where the protest songs are now, and I'm, I'm sure if I heard one on the radio, I'd be like, boy, this sucks because it's not like this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting about this song is it's, you know serious subject but it's got a like kind of uplifting you know melody to it so i know where you're gonna go with this yeah I, I did see joe frank at the plant 10 days ago <laughs> yeah so uh don't don't pull your love by hamilton joe frank and reynolds um <laughs> And this was Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds' third single and first top 40 hit. And it was written by the uh, songwriting team of Dennis Lambert and Brian Potter. They wrote hits for other artists, including Glenn Campbell, The Four Tops, Dusty Springfield, and Rob, uh, Rob Grill of the Grass Roots explained at a concert that this song was intended for his band. But they were about to release another single, so Potter and Lambert crafted Two Divided by Love for the Grassroots. I remember that song. Which sounds similar to this song. The Grassroots performed Don't Pull Your Love Out in concert, um, since it was supposed to be their song. Mm -hmm. So uh, Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds had two other top 40 hits in the 1970s, Falling in Love, that went to number one, and Winners and Losers, which went to number 21, both in 1975. And yeah, what we're going to talk about is uh, <laughs> the company that Pete and I worked for changed names many times over the years, but it was originally Hamilton Standard. And we work with a guy and his name, he's got two first names. His Joe name is Frank. Joe Frank. And when I worked in the plant uh, in Farmington, a guy that worked in my department's last name was Reynolds. And there, <laughs> there would be occasion where Joe Frank would be standing next to Mr. Reynolds and I would go by and go, hey, look, it's Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Reynolds. 
I, I don't remember Mr. Reynolds, but you know, Joe's still with us. He's a very, very good guy. And uh, yeah. I, I, I enjoy uh, my, because I really never worked with him. I've seen I, him for, for many decades. Okay. So, so I, I mentioned that Pete and I went to college together, but I went to a different college for the first two years, a technical college. And uh, Joe Frank was in in my class <laughs> in there. Really? So, yeah, really? Yeah. Hamilton Joe Frank. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a huge song by a huge artist. And uh, um, if you don't know that this is uh, Marvin Gaye, then you've been living on a rock for 51 years. Yeah. Yeah. So Mercy, Mercy Me uh, by Marvin Gaye. And um, yeah, it was off of What's Going On uh, in 1971, that album. And uh, yeah, he wrote this about the environment and uh, how we have an obligation to care for the earth. Marvin Gaye started to get away from the love ballads and explored uh, deeper social uh, themes starting in the uh, early 70s, which at first didn't sit well with the uh, Motown Records boss, Barry Gordy, um, who thought these songs wouldn't be marketable. But the success of the title track proved otherwise. And then Mercy, Mercy Me became a number one R&B hit and went to number four on the pop chart, so. Yeah, what's interesting is you're talking about how, uh, you know, that little story there and how uh, last week we had uh, Elton John and Kiki D saying, boy, let's get songs like uh, Marvin Gaye used to do back in the 60s. Those with, uh, with Tammy Terrell, yeah. Tammy Terrell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is, uh, this is not uh, who you think it is. What is it? Here we go. This is Tom Clay, What the World Needs Now, Abraham, Mark, and John. This is a uh, a thoughtful Dickie Goodman type of song where he talks over other stuff. So I... I don't know what it is. I don't know. Go for it. Yeah. Because I got nothing. This is, a, this is kind of a strange one, but somehow I did remember this. I thought the interviewer in the beginning sounded like Dick Cavett, but uh, this was... Uh, Put together by this jockey Tom Clay, who was working at a radio station, KGBS in Los Angeles, California, and he created this single by cutting together the songs "What the World Needs Now" and uh, Abraham, Martin, and John, and then putting these other clips from uh, events, tragic events from the yeah. 1960s in it. I mean, it's it's of the times, right? It's yeah. it's was this of, banned by Armed Forces Radio Network? Uh, I don't I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I mean, kind of. This and bring the boys the, back home. You know, peak. We talk about peak disco. Is this peak Vietnam? Probably, know? yeah, because it's like almost odd to hear something like this in the charts. It's actually disturbing, as as what you're hearing in the background. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, there's chills. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, at that time, this stuff didn't happen too long ago. So it, it must have had a way different impact than it had yeah. as for us listening to it, you know, 50 years later. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I got chills. Yeah. And what a terrible time. But, you know, again, you know, 
there are good times then too and just like now there's terrible times and good times yeah so this uh <clears throat> this band was on our chart last time at number 37 with low down a song i did not remember mm. this song i remember yeah i do too so this is uh beginnings by chicago it's actually off the chicago transit authority album which came out in 1969 um, which is a great album to me it might be the best chicago album actually no, no, no. XXXIIVVI <laughs> is the best. So this was the song, uh, excuse me, the band's second single after uh, Question 67 and 68, but it failed to chart on its initial release. And then it was re-released uh, in June of 1971, backed with uh, Cover My World. And both sides became U.S. radio hits and the combined single, uh, climb to number seven on the uh, pop charts so big song it's a good song and the the long version on the album is is great i i think anyway yeah yeah, yeah. so uh color my world which is on the flip side i actually think i learned how to play that on the trumpet i bet i have I still have the trumpet music in the in the house someplace i had the trumpet up in the garage huh yeah so, um, so maybe you'll have to cut your version of it and... yeah it's like a maynard ferguson you can't do that yeah <laughs> so this uh this song was on our chart uh yeah 1971 it was number nine and now it's number seven it's been in the chart for 14 weeks it hit number one it's on its way down wow yeah, yeah. we talked about it off the huge album tapestry uh what else can you say and uh she's got a song uh, another song she wrote that shows up twice in this countdown which is yeah. interesting without giving anything away but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. yeah. it's great we, you know we talked about tapestry and yeah i i actually went and bought that you know of course i bought it used 30 years yeah. ago and i'm like wow yeah you know? you know i would have to argue is she one of the most important artists of the 60s and 70s in terms of the songwriting oh absolutely you know yeah. i mean if you think she's, about she's, it she, you know is she on the you know let's say the beatles are up there on the mount rushmore like put them in as one face right? <laughs> Okay. Except it, Paul will be facing into the rocks. Yeah, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and you know, Carol King and and you know Paul Simon. Um, I I don't know. We could you know, I yeah. I feel like now we we've just gone into like uh, a sports radio. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Babe Ruth. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Mantle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Today's players couldn't shine their shoes. Ted that, Williams. But, yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, Nomar, uh, but I just what doesn't happen to Nomar. Yeah, yeah, I think he uh, he got traded and then he got injured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, whatever happened to Jackie Bradley Jr. <laughs> Bob Euchre. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. You're absolutely right. So. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of that when we were listening to it. It's like you know all those songs she wrote for others in the '60s. Yeah. Almost heaven, West Virginia, 
So, was this his first big song? You must have looked it. I looked it up, but I didn't get into that because it's very interesting uh, based on what was in our last episode. So this is Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver with Fat City. Now, Denver wrote this song with his friends Bill and Taffy Donoff, who were married at the time, and they were called Fat City. And they were hoping to get Johnny Cash to record this song when when they wrote it. Of course, uh, then they approached Denver and he helped them complete it. They almost didn't play it for John Denver because they didn't think it fit his style. But the Danoffs were... There's always a but. (laughs) Well, the Danoffs were in the band called Fat City at the time, and they later formed a band called the starland vocal band who had a big hit with afternoon delight in 1977. Um, there was some speculation that denver somehow screwed with the danoffs when he uh became famous and uh they remained in obscurity but the couple had always said they defended john denver in interviews pointing out that he brought fat city on tour and helped them to get a record deal with rca and uh, windsong records and uh Denver also recorded several other Bill Danoff's uh, songs. Danoff stated he n- he'd never been in West Virginia before co-writing the song, having written it in his house in uh, the Georgetown neighborhood of uh, Washington. But he had even considered using Massachusetts rather than West Virginia, as both of the states have the same number of syllables and they, they would have fit. But he got inspiration from uh, a friend because a friend that was in West Virginia sent him postcards. <laughs> sent him postcards? Postcards from West Virginia. And that's how this came about. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, just a couple other things to say. This song well, I is... have to start this over. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because we were getting near the end and I, yeah. I messed up right there. So, no, no problem. Yeah. We'll edit all of it up. But, um, okay. <laughs> but this song is hugely popular all over the world. It peaked at number two, and um, kind of poignantly, Olivia Newton-John did a cover of this one as well. Wow. So, do you remember at the other end of the road from where the plant was in the town that you talked about? Uh, The other bridge. Okay, yeah. There was a a bar called the Fat City Saloon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you ever go to the Fat City? I I did. Not too often, but a few times. you work second shift. You're like, yeah, a, yeah. You know, Everything on. was closed down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the thing is, is that I always try to get people to go to the Fat City, even though I was in Building Four A and not Building Four back in the late '80s. And I, I liked the Fat City Saloon. And and then when <clears throat> my friends, uh, who the heck lived down there? Bubba lived uh, in a place on Route Four. And we would go to the Fat City and Pony and Mark were there. And they had this big pool where you put money in and and Pony rolled a Yahtzee and he won the big pile of money oh. this is 30 <laughs> years ago. All right. But I, but I don't know if it was the Fat City then because it, then it changed names. And now I think it's closed. I haven't been down that road in, um, in decades. Yeah. So, uh, I, I had been in that. It was something else. I went there. Yeah. 
probably four or five years ago, but I haven't been down that road in, in a while. Yeah. Too. yeah. But the other thing is, is that when uh, we visited Korea back in 1998, we were on a tour bus. Uh-huh. And uh, one thing you do on the tour bus when you're driving through rural Korea is you do karaoke. Yeah. And this song was on the karaoke list. Yeah. And I, I sang this. You know, I now, you know, we were the, uh, un, unless the thing was full of, you know, American Koreans, okay, you know, why would Koreans go on this tour bus? But it was the only Anglo song on the, on the, uh, karaoke? on the karaoke list. Yeah. Well, as I said, you can go almost anywhere in the world and hear this song. It, it, it hits a string yeah. for people all over the world. Yeah. yeah. Number five. Isn't this artist like a big guy from the 60s? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the song. I, I don't know anything about the artist. Yeah. I'll let him say it here. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, this is Dragging the Line by Tommy James. Uh, this one went to number four. Tommy James wrote this song at his farm in upstate New York. It's very repetitious track, a sort of hypnotic uh, melody. Uh, he said they had the uh, instrumental part of it before they had the whole song, and it was only the second time they did that as uh, songwriters. The first was on Moni with uh, Tommy James and the, Moni, Moni, and the Chanel's. Moni, um, yeah, you remember that one. And that went to number three in 1968. So dragging the line is just meaning working every day. And there's a- uh, Something no, you're not familiar with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, no chandelles on this one. The group broke up in 1970, but Tommy James continued to record as a solo artist. Is Tommy still with us? Don't know. Didn't uh, didn't dig that far, uh, but uh, this song helped create a new phrase, as James explains, the line of hugging a tree. In there became a kind of slang expression for people who are interested in ecology. A, a tree hugger came from this song. Really? So, yeah, I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, so that's what I read. Their other big hits were uh, Crimson and Clover. Yeah. Crystal Blue Persuasion. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think we're alone now and Hanky Panky all in the uh, 1960s. So. I think I think I'm alone now was done in the 80s by somebody. Tiffany. Yeah, Tiffany. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that was I was terrible. a big fan of Tiffany. <laughs> you were, you're okay. Well, when, when, when you see her next time, bring your LP over there with a Sharpie. Okay. So. Mr. Big Stuff, Stacks. So we yeah. know what this is, and this is by Gene Knight. And I know the song, and I didn't know who Gene Knight was. And uh, um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't either. So yeah, this one got to number two, and it stayed on the pop and R&B charts for 16 weeks. It was a number one R&B hit, went double platinum, and was nominated for a Grammy. Gene Knight only had some minor hits after this. Her real name is... Jean Caliste, 
And in early 2007, this song was used in a Papa John's pizza commercial oh, that yeah. introduced the XL Grand Papa Pizza. Um, do we do we have a sponsor we, this we, week? We uh, don't have a sponsor. I couldn't seem to locate that, okay. but um, okay. but I will put a link in the show notes to the uh, a picture of the album cover for this because it's it's pretty hilarious. It's a very hefty guy in a white hat and white suit, and he's busting out of the suit. He's Mr. Big Stuff for sure. <laughs> All right, number three. All right, I'm ready to take some Dramamine <laughs> compared to uh, the Roberta Flack version, which was kind of weak too. But this is You've Got a Friend by James Taylor. And, uh, yeah, and of course written by Carol King. King yeah. yeah, and uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Casey mentioned uh, how James Taylor uh, came from a family where siblings were all in the music industry. At Livingston the time. Taylor, yeah. Livingston, Alex, and sister Kate, and uh, yeah, uh, James Taylor. He is one of the biggest selling artists of all time. Uh, like Olivia Newton-John, he sold over a hundred million records. Is that from life. the '70s or all time? Uh, it said all time, so I don't, okay. I don't know that specific, but. Uh, but yeah, this song went to number one. No. All right, this song was number 25 in our previous countdown. The Raiders Indian Reservation, the Lament of the Cherokee Reservation. Yeah, I figured I'd just talk a little bit about the band here because we had the mm -hmm. song before. So Paul Revere and the Raiders, also known as Raiders, were an American rock band formed in uh, Boise, Idaho in 1958. They had a string of hits in the 60s. Just Al Davis, their owner? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they had uh, Just Like Me, which went to number 11. Kicks, which went to number four. Yeah. Hungry went to number six. The Great Airplane Strike, which went to number 20. And Good Thing that went to number four. And Him or Me, What's It Gonna Be, that went to number five. So all those were in the 60s. They had one other top 40 hit in the 70s, Birds of a Feather, uh, also in 1971, which got to number 23. And the, these guys performed uh, this song and Birds of a Feather on the July 31st, 1971 episode of American Bandstand. So just uh, wow. two days just a week before. earlier. Yeah, 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 so. When my father weighed 196 pounds. <laughs> Billboard's number one. So one thing I didn't do, and I don't have it written down here, and typically I do was the number one LP and soul. Uh, and maybe Casey wasn't doing it in 1971 yet, because I didn't hear it. Yeah. We could always add that to the show notes. I'll, I'll yeah. make a note of that. Yeah. Well, this is the unmistakable words of the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? And um, to think that uh, this was number one, because Casey didn't realize it, all right? Because I think back in the day, Casey would say, we predict that this song will be number one. And I think Casey said, we got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he did mention that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Barry and Robin Gibb wrote this in the style of Andy Williams, they said. And it, it became uh, 
with their first number one U.S. hit, topping the chart for four weeks. And uh, later in 1971, Andy Williams uh, identified it as a song in his wheelhouse, and he recorded his own version of this. <laughs> He's great. I love Andy yeah. Williams. On his album, You've Got a Friend, which I wonder did he <laughs> oh, cover. No. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so I might have to look up that album for the show notes. Oh, okay. And Al Green also recorded this on uh, his uh, album, Let's Stay Together, in 1972. So, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was the number one song for this week, August 7th, 1971, and good for the Bee Gees. This is the time of the episode where we do our ratings and things and we uh, always of course started off with your agonizer please no mr slaughter i'm gonna uh, agonize you with this oh <laughs> number 35 that's the way of blah 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 Ugh. yeah ah uh, perhaps a misstep i don't know i'm I, I, the, you and I disagree on Carly Simon, so and, and I think I became a fan because because uh, my wife was a, a fan. But uh, fair enough, I could see how that's a it, it's an odd song for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to agonize me with? Well, it's funny because after hearing your reaction, I, I probably took a misstep too because uh, well, first of all. I, I was going to go with this song just because I, I know what, you number probably, 35? Uh, I don't have the number here. Well, the Carly Simon song. No, no, not this song. Oh, uh, this 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 song by... The, no, no, the song I was about to say. Oh, okay. uh, I'm sorry. And, but uh, I'll just mention the title and we won't go into details, but it's not the song I'm picking. But, but okay. I, I, I considered going with Mercy, Mercy Me. But I'm not going with that. So I kind of like that song. Yeah. So I I put hot pants actually. I think that's a great song. Yeah, yeah. Then I heard you react to it. And I'm like, okay, but we picked these things before. Uh, right. I I kind of didn't like it. Uh, from my standpoint, I think it just seemed like kind of a lazy. Thing for uh you know for him to do but james brown's gonna come out of his grave and he's gonna he's gonna whap you and oh and yeah he's gonna find you yeah for that. yeah yeah <laughs> but uh i don't know yeah, yeah fair enough i mean it's i guess it's entertaining <laughs> well yeah yeah, yeah but, so uh, what, what's your favorite song or your uh your best song of the week i should say well this is interesting too because i think we might differ a lot this week i think the best song by far is Smiling Faces by the Undisputed Truth. I mean, what I, number's that? Number 25. Number 25. I just yeah. found it. Yeah. Number 25. Yeah. I mean, so, so do you, this is your best song of the countdown. Yeah. I mean, you don't pay attention to the lyrics, but this has got great lyrics. It's, it talks about how you can't trust people and, uh, you know, um, probably could apply to politicians or people in commissions or God knows what, but uh, maybe you could play this sometime. <laughs> oh, brother. 
Be beware of the handshake that hides the flake. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I tell you that, that that wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. Uh, well, plus I I absolutely love the backstabbers, and they're they're of a similar vein. Well, this is my best song of the countdown. Yeah, and if Joe Frank one. ever listens to this, okay. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Thank yeah. you for your help a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But yeah. one of the reasons I love this song is I think it's awesome. And I did talk about karaoke in Korea with uh, <clears throat> with the uh, uh, John Denver Take Me Home Country Roads. But this is one of my favorite karaoke songs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I I love this song and I think it's great and. Maybe we should do a karaoke, uh, you know, where you both sing. I think yeah. my wife got my daughter a karaoke machine years ago. I did. House someplace. I did karaoke once, um, also at a bar in Farmington. Sacco and Vanzetti's? <laughs> no, it was, uh, oh, what was the name of that place? It was right at the Five Corners. Uh, oh, the Stonewell. Uh, or the Casual Camel. Casual Camel. It wasn't. The Stonewell, the Casual Camel, right across the street from. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah, that that was it. I was getting mixed yeah. up with the Silo. Oh, the Silo, that's now a CVS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I sang "Luck Be a Lady," Frank Sinatra, and I oh, have gosh, it on you a. Can't do Frank. I had it on a cassette tape. Yeah. You could do Joe Frank, but not that Frank. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Sinatra and Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. Here's my worst song of, of the countdown. I gotta, cause I got it queued up. This song is grating. This song is hard to listen uh -huh. to. And, and I just, I mean, if this came on the radio, I would turn it off like I'm gonna do right now. Yeah, um, I agree with you. That song sucks. Um, it wasn't my worst one, but it was a runner-up for worst one, for sure. Oh, well, I, I had a hard time. I had a very hard time finding a worse song. All right, yeah. So what is yours? <laughs> so, my favorite? <laughs> so last week, I think my uh, guilty pleasure was You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. So I'm going to do a 180, and sorry, Bee Gees, but how can you mend a broken heart? This may be one of the earliest 70s sap songs, in my opinion. <laughs> this is awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. What do you got for Story Song of the Week, my friend? Tough, right? Um, oh, this was a hard one. Yeah, I, I ended up with uh writers on the storm um and it's not really that great a story song but yeah i i really couldn't come up with much else how about you well i thought about it okay and i disagree with you okay yeah right. perfectly valid because this is tough yeah because i think i actually picked this for 10 weeks ago okay yeah reservation. Yeah, 
you know, good point. I didn't even think of that one, but yeah, uh, particularly about the beads being made in Japan. And <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, true to form, my divergent songs are number 31 and number three, You Got a Friend. Um, because same song, different folks, you know, one's a soul artist, the other's a, you know, a singer songwriter. Great. Yeah. You know, written by one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore folks of, of pop music and, and music of the last 60 years being Carol King. Yeah. But totally yeah. done differently. And uh, th so those were mine. I had a little trouble with this again. And um, uh, so I picked uh, Take Me Home Country Roads versus Riders on the Storm. And it's just that one's a happy road trip and one's a not happy road trip. <laughs> so I, I think those are very, you have to be in, two very different moods to listen to those i think yeah so uh i tell you mark the uh this this was a hard hard uh countdown to rate because i tell you there's a really lot of good stuff on this yeah and but i'm gonna go with a b okay all right and I had, and I wrote B because I was thinking of putting a plus on it. All right. I, you can, if you're watching on channel 18, you can see I wrote that right there. Yeah. All right. But the problem is, is it was a long time ago. Yeah. Right? And I was, what, six years old. And there's some of the stuff which I just didn't understand because of the Vietnam War. And um, I don't know. A lot of covers, which kind of didn't didn't hit me, you know. Yeah. So what what do you have? Well, it's interesting because I uh, so I'm using my new system where I actually give a letter grade, uh, a a good, a neutral, a bad, or a sap. Right. And so from a numbers standpoint, I had. 27 good songs, 10 neutrals, two bad, and one sap. Wow, this is like A plus. I and I nearly was I was uh flirting with an A plus, but I was like, you know what? I, I've never given one and I didn't think it was strong enough, especially since you had one sap. Like last week I had um less good songs, but um there were no sap songs, in my opinion, on, on last week's episode, and that one got an A. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I gave it an A, and I, you know, wow, yeah. Okay. But but I mean, if you go through some of these songs, this one, oh, well, I just I just picked one out of the list, which I think is a great song. That's a great song. Okay. I think Tesla doing signs drove it down for me. <laughs> yeah, I that's yeah, that's a good song though. Resurrection Shuffle, really good, I think. You know, won't get fooled again, again, driven into the ground, but it's an iconic rock song. Funky Nassau. Oh Moon yeah, we Shadow. talked about Funky Nassau. Yep. Yeah. Moon Shadow. What you see is what you get. That's yeah. a good one. That that Spanish Harlem version of Aretha Franklin, that's pretty good. Treat her like a lady. Smiling faces, I said I love. Yeah, Riders on a Storm, another iconic rock song. Um, 
I, I tell you, it was pretty good. I had a hard time with this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ag agree with you. Liar was terrible. Yeah. And that was one of my bad songs, actually. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Sweet Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sooner or later. Course, uh, I liked Bring the Boys Home, actually, which is, you know, and Beginnings. So yeah, for me, there was a lot of stuff on here that, that I thought was really good. And of course, uh, Take Me Home Country Roads. Yeah, by Fat City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which later turned into the Starline vocal band. Yeah. So. All right, well, wow. This this was this was kind of interesting. It and, was. Uh, it, I, I, I struggled, okay? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and I Anyhow. think I think this sort of you know our different ratings kind of th this is where our, our little bit different tastes come into the uh, you know into the mix, but that's fine. That's, well, that's you know, why you're we a city boy, and I'm a country boy to take me home. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh oh, suburb boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You came up with the uh, closing statement and. I sort of have it on the tip of my tongue, but I don't have it. So I might have to have you do it this week. Well, as Casey would say, <laughs> when you're making sausage, make it the worst. <laughs> and keep your podcast tuned right where it is. I think your imitation is better than mine. <laughs> All right, Pete. All right. Have, have a good one, man. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Okay,